This is the Real Estate Addicts Podcast with your hosts, Mark Savatsky from Choose Boston. Ray Herto, HRV Homes. Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. And our guest, Ricardo Rodriguez from Cobalt Banker. Awesome. Ricardo, thanks so much for joining us today. For those of you not in Boston, Ricardo is one of the most successful realtors in our city. And I know your time is very valuable. And uh, I'm happy to be here. No, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's going to be great. For inviting me. You've been on a few other podcasts, haven't you? Uh, yes, but short, short little episode. So this is exciting. Ooh, you're gonna get I have the a whole. I'm gonna talk a lot, and then I talk a lot. So you guys, be careful. This is episode ten, so this is a big one. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, milestone. Yeah, you're right. We made this it to great. ten. Mm-hmm. So we did Perfect. it. Go us. We did it. <laughs> Only hundreds more to go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so Ricardo, how's your day going? It's going great. Yeah. You know, it's going great. It's been busy, crazy. You know, it's the middle of the spring market, so a lot of stuff is happening. Buyers are out there. Uh, listings coming up a little bit later than we usually get them. But I think that has been kind of like a little bit of a pattern the past couple of years in which, you know, listings come just later in the season. Uh, but but the activity is there. We have, you know, a lot of things under agreement, crazy stuff going still, you know, uh, multiple offer situations. Insanely enough, in the high end, we're seeing multiple offer situations, which is great. So, so yeah, did, it's been Did a good- you see the market slow towards the end of last year at all or— Last year was really a scary little quarter, like, you know, the fall. And, and, and I could tell you that this was kind of like consensus for, for most agents that I've spoken to. We were really concerned as to what was happening and why it was happening. And I think, in my opinion, I think it had a lot to do, at least for us in this market, with kind of like, you know, geopolitical situation. I think like the election really is, was spooking a lot of people. And I think that the way in which it ended up being here in Massachusetts and just in general, I think that got people a little bit more engaged, back engaged into feeling comfortable with making, you know, long-term life decisions. And so we saw a very early spring. I think this year I had the busiest, you know, January that I've ever experienced in my 14, 15 year uh, career and stayed pretty busy uh, through February. It cooled down a little bit in March, but in April has picked up, you know, with the vengeance. And I think in May is going to be a, a pretty good, a pretty good. So month. people got a little nervous, but then they overreacted. So yeah, kind of the pendulum they took swung. A pause, well, you, you remember, say? you know, it's, it, it's people need confidence. People need to feel comfortable as to what is happening in general. And I think that if, if people feel uneasy as to, you know, to some extent, more macro things, I think that people stop engaging into something like real estate. But I think as soon as people feel more comfortable, I think, com, you know, consumer confidence comes back. And, and, and I think that's what we are experiencing uh, this spring. So Ricardo, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of how you got started in real estate, a little yeah, bit of your yeah. background? Yeah, yes, of course. So in terms of background, I was born in Colombia. I, I got to the United States, to Boston in the early 90s. So I've been in the city for a long time. The long answer, you know, I came into the countries, you know, I like to speak about my experience as, a, as an immigrant because mine is that quintessential immigrant story. I came into the country with 25 bucks in my pocket. I didn't speak English. So literally, literally has been that entire process of trying to build an you know, entire new life in a new country. And I think that to me, it's, a, you know, part of that I owe it to real estate. Real estate has been a very, very welcoming, a good business from, you know, for me, I started around 14, 15 years. To be honest, I did not like real estate originally. My experiences were not necessarily the best. What was your first foray into it? Oh, well, it was literally, uh, you know, m- my my husband right now it had a home and then we were sell- uh, we were selling it. And it really was not like the most amazing experience you could ever imagine in many, many ways. So I had a, you know, like a sour, you know, taste for it. So 
I had a friend who was a VP with Cobalt Banker and for years he would be like, you need to do real estate. You will be good. I'm telling you, you'll be great. You'll be great. And I was like, no way. Like there's no, no way that I'm going to be What doing. did you do? What did you do when you first came to the country? So I was, I, you know, I was doing, a, I was an actor. So I was acting, nice. you know, a lot. I was doing a lot of theater. I was doing some commercial stuff. I was also working with nonprofits doing, you know, social marketing and doing information management. And so those were kind of like skills that became very helpful for me in, you know, building my, my real estate business. Interesting actor and salesman. I, I feel like there's some core, some crossover there. Oh, yes, there is. You know, like when you think of, of real estate, real estate really is a business of, of marketing. I think that, that, you know, we are licensed as, as salespeople, but at the end of the day, we are not really selling. Developers are selling. The, the homeowner is the one that is selling, right? What we are doing is marketing. What we are doing is marketing the properties, finding that specific angle that is going to get the property in front of the right people or that specific buyer that needs to get in front of. I always see my job as one of a marketing consult, consultant more than a salesperson. And I think that that has made a difference for me in terms of my position within, within the, you know, the whole field of real estate agents in the city. You know, I've been able to find kind of like my own, you know, I've been able to resonate in a very specific way that I think it's created a point of differentiation for myself. Can you skip ahead 15 years um, from that story and tell us your sales last year or this this year to date? Just tell us about your yeah, business. Yeah, so so we you know we are very lucky. We have a very a very very good business. It last I would tell you in terms of milestones last year, we received an award from the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, called the number one Latino agent in the U.S. by sales volume. We also received in 17 the number one team uh, for co-banker in New England. Last year, we did uh, around $200 million in transactions. We closed somewhere around 150 This year, I think we are looking hopefully somewhere in the 180. That's our goal right now, 180 to 200 if, if, if things go. That's Congrats. Wow. Yeah, no, Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. That's thank awesome. You. So yeah. what's your specialty? What, what do you sell? And, and that's your bread and butter. Yeah, well, what's your niche? I think a lot of people identify my work around new construction. We certainly work with, you know, with everything. We do general brokerage. We do individual buyers. We do individual sellers. But I think because new construction, particularly the market in new construction can be so shiny, that's what people see the most. We work, you know, in all, in all areas of the business. The other area that I think that we get a little bit of a, which is a good thing to have the reputation around doing luxury work, which we do, but we work in all price points. You know, as we always say, you know, luxury for us is not a price point. Luxury really is an experience. So regardless of what the price point is, what we offer to our clients and regardless whether it's a new construction, whether it's a developer, whether it's just somebody selling their home, what we offer is the same quality of an experience and the same, you know, elevated uh, kind of like uh, work for them. When you first started, obviously, you weren't, you know, focused on new construction. How did you get from when you started to new construction and kind mm -hmm. of how did that blossom and grow from there? You know, I, I got to tell you, I was, I was focused on new construction from day one. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I was one of those things that I figured out that if I was going to be doing real estate, I was going to do it in a way in which I was going to enjoy it. Because I always understood from so many people who were doing real estate, friends that I knew were doing real estate, how difficult the business can be. And I figured that if I was going to go in this direction, that I was going to find a way of making it very enjoyable for myself. And so I naturally have always had a proclivity towards design, towards architecture. I think that if I was, if I have gone, if I have gone, I've been given the opportunities, most likely will be an architect or some sort of interior designer. 
So I figured that for me, that proclivity towards that and that love for design and architecture was something that I needed to bring to the table. So I did my whole environmental scan as to what people were doing, who was doing new construction, how they were doing it. And I figured out, you know, where they were kind of like positioned. And I, and I found that my original instinct as to going towards more of that design and architectural a consulting role was really the right direction for me to go in terms of, of my business. And what I did is I literally line up appointments with every developer that would take an appointment with me. And I got laughed out of, you know, appointments. I sometimes, you know, I, I could see the inquisitive, you know, eyes like, what the heck is this guy doing here? But you know what? That gave me, landed in my first piece of business in new construction, which was with New Boston Ventures with David Goldman and Dennis Kane. They literally gave me that first opportunity on that first year. They brought me into a project that had they, that they were already running called The Modern in the South End. There was a team of agents that were part of that and they brought me into the team of agents to be part of it. So they gave me that first opportunity. So really, again, I've always tell people that the best way to practice real estate is from more of an in, intuitive place because this, this was before my time at new Boston oh yeah Ventures. this is yeah but this is. as i understand the story there was a team of realtors selling this product yes yes but ricardo far and away outsold everyone else yeah. and really kind of earned show you know earned his chops there yeah it was, it was really interesting because i figure out this is an opportunity that i cannot let go that i cannot take lightly and that has been kind of like trademark of how i do my job and how my team does the job Every single opportunity that we are given to us is a, is a, is a, is a turning point. We treat everything as if it's a tipping point. Let's dig a little deeper because I feel like a lot of people talk about hustle or like, you know, I'm going to do a great job, but you, that you really produce. And then that was one example at the modern, like how, as a realtor, how do you go beyond just pretty pictures on MLS? Like what additional value do you bring to the table? Um, you know, give us a, I know that's a big question. Is he going to, is he going to spill all of his secrets? I, listen, yeah. There's, there's yeah. no secrets. You know, I, I'm really always open about having these conversations because I do think that, that the way in which I do my business belongs to the way in which I wanted to operate. Right. And so, so you could listen to me and you could try to do it, but at the end of the day, it has to belong to your own kind of like organic reaction to it. So to, so to answer, to answer your question, uh, Mark, I do think that real estate really is a business of strategy. I've always seen it as a business of strategy. It is a business of not paying attention as to what is happening around you, but being really focused on the things that you need to be doing. And if I don't know what is going to be happening, you know, five moves from now as I'm making this move at this point, then I'm not doing a good job. So whatever piece I move during the marketing of a project or working with a buyer or just in a way in which I want to move the direction of my business, I am very aware of what is going to be in the next five moves. I know how to react to whatever is going to be thrown at me at this point because I know what I'm going to be in the very near future. Can you give us an example? Well, I, I will because I've had the pleasure of working okay. with Ricardo on a couple projects and uh, the Lucas being one of them, which was tremendously successful. Yeah, yeah. This was a conversion of an old uh, late 1800s German church into um, 33 incredible condominiums. Oh yeah, beautiful. But one thing you did there... Is, is marketing. And I mean yeah. that from distinct from sales. Ricardo had a vision for the entire marketing package, a website, a rollout, a, a timeline to the tactic, yeah. and then finishes. Every yeah. time we picked a different tile or we were looking at a kitchen cabinet concept, Ricardo had very strong opinions on what would sell and where we should deploy our dollars and where we should maybe even show restraint. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really about that, that full, you know, the full strategy that makes a difference. So to, to give you an example, right? Let's say that we have, we are running a 
the sales of a brand new construction building and we are doing pre-construction, we start looking at patterns of where the buyers are coming from. First of all, we're looking at patterns of how many appointments we need to get in order to get a conversion. And we start creating plans as to how many people we need to bring to the table. So we take it even to that very micro level as to how many people we need to bring to the table. And then that informs the kind of a strategy that we need to make in terms of marketing to bring that number of people through the doors. It's about being very, very connected as to what the market is telling you and as to what the buyers are telling you and the brokers are telling you so that then you can make the, make the necessary adjustments. If you think that you're going to sell a project just by putting MLS or, or a listing just by putting MLS and having the pre-pictures and spending money on a video, you're completely wrong on that, on, in my opinion, because the way to do it again is by being proactive and listening to what the market is telling you and adjusting and pivoting and making decisions that are the best decisions to get you to that closing table. Do you feel that in the given the market we're in now, do you feel that because the market's so hot, people can get away with just putting stuff on the MLS and putting pretty pictures out there and getting buyers or, or no? I do think that there's some of that. But at the end of the day, when you look at the pattern of like the, the, the real top producers, the real top producers are, tend to be very consistent. And it's because people understand there is a strategy. When you talk to, to, to actual top producers, everybody will kind of like tell you the same story that I'm telling you right now. That is not just about that, you know, the pretty things, but there is about those relationships and it's about that strategy and it's about that strategic decision making. Can we get technical? Um, if you have a new development, how do you decide when to put units on MLS? How many units to put on MLS? How often do you hold a listing as an off-market listing? Because that's an attractive story for many buyers. I do believe in the market. The, the most extraordinary thing about real estate is, uh, as, a, as a market is how alive it is and how it speaks to you immediately, right? You know when you're right on a price point, when you're, you know when you're right on a marketing approach because it immediately tells you that you're right or that you are not. So you just sold out to Henry in Fenway. Yes. And yeah. you're how many months from completion? We're still, but I would say at least four to six months from completion, somewhere around that. And how many completion. units was it? Uh, 20 units. And, yeah. and they're all spoken for. They're all done. So yeah, that's a good example of what you're talking to. Yeah. The strategy just yeah. worked. The price point was correct. Yes, And exactly. the market gave you that feedback. The market gave you the feedback immediately. The market tells you if you need to be there or not. And this applies not only to new construction, but it applies to general well, brokerage. What was, it, single price what was it about the Henry that... Um, clicked? Like, well, was it the price point? Was it a demographic or an underserved need in a, in a particular well, neighborhood? Well, I think, I think it was, you know, it, it was a unit size, controlling unit size makes a huge difference. Can you give a little background on it? I probably am just assuming that everyone knows what the Henry is. Oh, so the Henry is, is this great project, new construction from the ground up in Fenway on Symphony Road, a 50 Symphony Road with GFC development with, with Charles Aguirre. So it's a great, great developer. So it's 20 units. It's a collection of two bedrooms, two bathrooms. Price points? They run between the low one millions to somewhere around one and a half. And there are units that are very controlled in terms of- Two of bedrooms? Sex. Two bedrooms, two bathrooms, yes. Most for all of them? Or? All of them, yes, except oh, wow. for one, yeah. Parking? Parking for most of them, outdoor for most of them. Not a very diverse unit mix. That wasn't no, a No, there is not, but- Do you no. like that format, just two beds? Do you think that that's universally appealing? I think that it depends on where you are. Again, not, not, every, not every building's unit schedule belongs in every single location. One of the things that I do when I work with real estate developers, and you know this, Mark, is I like to come at the very beginning. I want you to call me immediately. You found the property, you call me, and I'm going to give you my advice as to what I think needs to go in there in terms of 
price point, in terms of unit size, in terms of unit mix, in terms of who do we think is going to be the general buyer profile for the for the project. Because if we know all those things, then we can build everything around it. We can select the right architect. We can select the right interior designer. We can select the right level of, of finishes and, and amenity if that's, if that's part of the plan. And then that helps us really build a very strong marketing story for that building, which is what allows us to move, in my opinion, in Ricardo Rodriguez and Associates, which is the name of my group, is what allows to move units so fast is because we know everything about the project and we believe 100% on what we are building with that client. Have you ever come into a development in sort of another broker's wake. And yes. what I mean by, yeah. So essentially the developer worked with somebody else, was unhappy for some reason, and then you came in. What was that like? There are two things about it, right? I, I, I will not touch a building in which there is not an agreement with the other agent that I'm going to be taking over that building. You know, I, I, I just, I'm not one of those guys that steps on people's toes, I think. If somebody does that to me, I will be fucking pissed. <laughs> and so I will not do that to anybody because that, I just- And that's definitely not what I meant. I meant no, no, more no, no, so, no, but yeah. I'm, I'm just like, yeah. you know. It's also a small community. It's and, a small, we know each other. We work town. with each other. It is a yeah. small town. It is yeah. amazing yeah. like that. When you take a building that, that has belonged to somebody else, you have to believe in the choices that they have made because you're now, you're now living with somebody else's decisions or you have to believe in those choices or you have to believe that you can overcome whatever- you they know, messed up issues you might think <laughs> yeah, that they come up with. You know, or, what I mean? or to, to the earlier points. You know, is the marketing was the marketing poor? Was there just not enough connections? Yeah, yeah there are so many variables that go into into why a project might not be successful. Sometimes it's the project itself. Sometimes it's price point. Sometimes it's the marketing. But you know, when I come, because I've 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 done the, I've done this kind of like salvage you know, strategy a few times. And what we do is we do that scan as to what what we think was the 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 challenge with the with the project, right? I could tell you that almost hundred percent of the times is is never the agent. It's just this all the things that are going around that maybe we're not managed properly. And so so what we do is we do this scan and then we figure out what is it that we need to be fixing, whether it is sometimes it's literally just rebranding the location. Sometimes it's just, you know, making a slight changes to common areas. Sometimes it's certainly bigger, more major stuff like repricing who knows yeah so i was going to kind of get to the repricing part of it because that's usually the biggest thing that happens and how would you break how would you have a breakdown in terms of i don't know how often this happens but let's say it's 10 times right so out of those 10 times what percentage are you going up in price what percentage are you going down in price and what percentage are you staying the same but trying a different marketing approach again it has to do all with market conditions right i think that market conditions and an inventory type I think that let's say in a market like the current one, right? If if I'm going to be getting a building that is all a bunch of five, you know, three five million dollar uh, units, then we have to be really, really careful as to evaluating pricing because most likely that is going to be the primary concern on on a building like that. The pricing is going to be kind of like this. If if we are taking over a building that is entry level, right? That is a bunch of ones and two bedrooms. The answer might lie more around. My, you know, around marketing decisions or some sort of like, you know, position in value proposition of the building that then we need to adjust. So I think it depends on general market conditions. And I think it depends on the type of product that is being brought uh, to it. Have know, you ever convinced us. the seller to, or developer to redo anything, change layouts at that yes, stage? Yes, I can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll oh. give you a great story. Uh, we're doing a building currently in Bay Village called The Mark. 
Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's named after Marky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you finish selling all of them, <laughs> we do really well. But um, it's not. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but anyway, Ricardo had a vision for, we have a number of units which were two bed plus a study. And the study was sort of an interior room in the building. And Ricardo showed us these black anodized framed uh, glass walls. And he said that if we spent the money, and I'll, I'll be candid, these were about twelve dollars to $15,000 to incorporate these large, expansive iron glass walls. And he said, this will be a real wow moment. And it's going to be one of those things where the buyer goes home and tells their significant other, you know, I saw this unit today with. With this thing, yeah. And it's really true. It's really proven true. So we're finally getting close to finish at the market. Yeah. And um, I've and gotten more compliments on that. Yeah, people love those those studies. They really do. And, and we were really looking at value engineering and trying to get the construction. Yeah, I remember. Budget. I fought this. Yeah, and, and yeah. you were right. Yeah. So you okay. basically t- had a wall there before and then took yeah, it out? Yeah, we, we did. And yeah. and we said, we need to bring light into the, these interior studies. These studies are valuable. People work yeah. from home a lot, Ricardo yeah. said. And um, let's make these an awesome room. Yeah, they turned out to be pretty, yeah. How yeah, far yeah. along were you in that? Did you, did, did you already have, was it already it was framed a, no, and drywalled? No, it was early, fortunately. I mean, yeah. like Ricardo said, we were working together from the conceptual design. Yeah, from conception, design. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But, but there have been in, in projects in which we made actual physical adjustments after the fact. You know, they're preferably almost not at comp- Yeah, no, it's pr- yeah, preferably not. But sometimes that you need to make certain adjustments. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and Dan, we got to do it. Dan did that. What is it? Dan and Ray oh, just you did, did that on a fireplace. We oh, did. Yeah. yeah, a little you, bit. You're, yeah. You, you, you were uh, we crowdsourced the idea, right? Yeah, I saw your Instagram. Oh, yeah, where, where you pulled it back and uh, yeah, but I mean that was, was minor, but yeah, it was very minor. Yeah, <laughs> it thought, wasn't moving walls, <laughs> ripping stuff out. It was a lot yeah, easier no to do it then, but <laughs> we've we've done it in which we ask people to move walls and then just you know relocate, you know maybe edit part of room so that we can have more storage, whatever it is that that we need in terms of of actual physical condition to have a stronger value proposition for the How unit. often do you come into a project and the developer wants to overprice the units? Boy, that, that's the name of the game. Are you basically trying to like bring people back to reality no. for almost every project or is it, or are some developers more reasonable than others? I would say that most developers are, are very reasonable about it. I think that, you know, you have, your cost considerations. So, and then you have also your, you know, your profit considerations. So I see where the developer is coming from. I think at the end of the day, we have to listen to market conditions. And then we have to be able to, particularly when we're doing pre-construction stuff, we have to be able to do some sort of like price projection that is on a reasonable, you know, range. I would prefer to have, you know, a success having, a, you know, a rapid absorption on a project that is going to help you as a developer get more business and create a reputation for doing successful business than for me letting you get away with this conversation around prices that are unreasonable, not selling it, which then is going to affect you and then it's going to affect me, right? Because my reputation is also there. So I think that, yeah, I would have say you ever that- walked away from a development because you just oh, felt yeah. the developer's price expectations? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah, I have worked, worked out of, of projects for, for all the reasons, but that in particular. Tell us your craziest story. What crazy story? What, what do you want me to tell you? Oh, <laughs> what, what are we Wild talking about? world of real estate. <laughs> no, like a crazy story with a, that a developer or any type of project that you're involved in that 
you know, something either happened or, you know, I'm sure there's some crazy buyers out there and crazy sellers out there. Especially just, the buyers you deal with. Oh my God. Yes. We have, you know, we have, we do have a, you know, we're, again, we're very lucky. We have really, really good clients and, and we have the, we have kind of like the, the luxury of bringing people that are connecting with us. Like really, really and I'm not pushing you here. I, I really do mean it. We tend to get this really, really like, you know, like, cool client base and they're like all excited to work with us. And so it makes for a very good process. Certainly everyone goes crazy at some point or every seller, every buyer goes crazy at some point. There is always something that is going to become that kind of like turning point it for people. But you never know. You never know what that is going to be. Any crazy requests by buyers? Uh, yeah, I can think of a couple. Tell me about it. Remind me, remind me of yeah, some of the stuff. Lucas, <laughs> uh, part, one, one buyer wanted a party shower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> called it that in their offer. Yeah, the oh, that was shower. actually, that was yeah. documented yeah, was in the offer. Yeah. Well, Is that the one we shower saw? heads on both sides. I mean, it wasn't so crazy. <laughs> By the, the way, end, it was, but, it was yeah. a beautiful shower. Yeah. He was right. That was a party shower. That what else cool. are you going to do in a shower yeah. like that, right? So, Mark, you actually gave us a tour of that building. Was that the shower that we looked at in that yeah, building? Or were they all that big? No, that was a special oh unit. My, yeah, that could fantastic. have been a master bedroom. It was yeah. so big. It was, yeah. I think it was like a 15 by 15 shower. Oh, it was massive. Yeah, yeah. But it was, but it was beautiful, and and you know what? It was it, a party shower. He wanted it, and we we gave him what he wanted. It was great. We have a lot of weird buyers. One buyer in that building was very tall and wanted their island to be taller oh, yes. than a typical cabinet. Yes. Yeah. So interesting yeah. resale condition, but totally. I yeah. guess hey, yeah, we see it all, right? We've seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever priced anything way below market value? I've seen a couple listings, and I don't know if it's more appropriate as sort of a one-off type condo versus a whole suite of buildings, but you ever price something super low just to generate a call, ton of interest? Call it drama pricing? Well, it, it's called power pricing. It's, oh, it's really okay. it's a, it's really a technique that, and when I started this business, it was, what is it, 2006, 2007. So, so the market went belly up right as, as I was studying. So really I learned the business on the worst of conditions, which was the best thing that ever happened because it made me resourceful and creative and all that stuff. But at the time, there was there was this whole theory called power pricing, which is really, even though real estate is a commodity as we know, right? Treating real estate almost as a as, as a product in which we will figure out what price points were there, kind of like shelve all the price points, and then we will we will place units below everybody else's price just to create some sort of like energy in terms of activity. Because as you know, the more buyers you bring to a, to a place creates a strong energy, and then you have the possibility and the potential of having multiple offers then, which will will end up on above uh, asking uh, prices. Right. And that's always the hope. And and the fear is, of course, you only get a couple people come through and they make an offer that's still 10% below where you were yeah, hoping I, they'd overbid it. Yeah, I think that you that technique, particularly in a market like this, has to be very, you know, carefully implemented because I think it has to do with how special the property is. I think that if you just have a traditional two-bed, two-bath, unless you really are truly, truly power pricing, you really might backfire. But if you have something that is very special that maybe you have just one or two other competitors and you want to get ahead of it, it might be a good strategy to to undertake. What do you think about using, uh, so we had a sales team once tell us that we needed one unit in our building less than a million because buyers segregate their search or filter their search up to 999. So we had one unit and it was kind of arbitrary, 999. Do you think there's any 
What was, the rest, what was the rest of the price point? Um, it wasn't that far over a million, okay. but that was our like um, we 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 lobbed that one out there to draw people's attention. Yeah, I'm not convinced it was the right move. So it, it has but, to do with price positioning, and I think it has to do. I think what they were talking to you about was uh, how people search in MLS. You know, a lot of people are going to search in specific increments. I think for entry level units, you you usually search on $25,000 increments. I think when you get into maybe like mid luxury, you start doing increments of around, you know, you know, 50 to 100,000. How do you leverage how clients search based on price point of a particular property to price the units that you're selling? You need to, again, you need to be intuitive and understand how people are searching. And so, so you're going to play stuff in MLS based on how people might be looking at their data. So if you figure out that your home is $539,000, you're better off going to five and a quarter, 525 or going to 550. The 539 is going to put you in this weird kind of like gray area that nobody's paying that much attention to because you're like in this weird place. You're better off going at, as to those cutting points that people are searching through MLS. And where so, do you think those are again? And the entry-level units, they tend to be somewhere in that twenty-five to $50,000 increment. So you're looking at up to five twenty-five, and then you might go to five fifty, five seventy-five. You don't go necessarily from from you know five twenty-five to six twenty-five. You don't do increments of a hundred thousand. You do increments of around twenty-five thousand dollars. On kind of like mid-luxury price points, you're looking at fifty to a hundred. So you go from two four to two five to two six. When you're looking at the at the at the you know the the high levels of the luxury market. It's really more around two hundred and fifty, maybe five hundred thousand dollars increment. So if you have a price reduction in those price, if you think so, it's you, sitting, I always consider you don't, that you don't drop by nineteen grand. It it's makes not no sense whatsoever. If you're going yeah. to reposition, you better reposition to a place in which you really are going to be opening the doors to more buyers for more buyers to see your property. In so you're not going to drop by ten grand. You want to drop by at least twenty five. Well, well, depending well, on the yeah, tier. Depending on where, yes, exactly. Depending on the tier, depending on where your original positioning is. What you about know? the strategy of dropping by a dollar? So anyone who's got that filtered search, the drip email, it's going to come back as a PCG yeah. price reduction. The, Is there be, something? I, I actually do. I don't do the the, the, the thousand, but it. I do the I do the five thousand. So yeah. so if we are you know five hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I would say let's price it at five hundred forty five thousand mm. dollars. But just we just reduce that five thousand. It does come back on your email drip, and all of a sudden it's at back at the top of the list. And uh, yeah, you know. yeah, I think I do think that it makes it makes a difference, and then I think it has to do again with the way in which people are searching. People are searching from five twenty five to five fifty. Uh, what are so something it, that aggravates me as a buyer? Have you guys ever seen uh, price of listings go up? It, yes, it, it's been on the market for a hundred days, <laughs> and all of a sudden, price, PCG price change up a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the market's appreciated. Is Mark. there any strategy? <laughs> I don't understand that one. No, I You've don't understand that. You don't I've raise it, it just to lower it. No, give it a good. Oh, that's a thought. You know? Maybe right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> help us out. Help us understand what percentage of your business is pre-sales, not a finished product versus a finished product. Let's start there. So I'll start with a little bit more micro. My business is around 75 percent on the listing side, okay. and then you know. 25, 30% on the buyer side. That's what we do primarily. From that 70%, I would say at this point, at least half, you know, depending on on, on the year and the projects that we have, uh, in uh, between 50%, sometimes 70% of it is going to be uh, new construction and the rest is going to be 
it's like you know individual individual listings individual and how often are you keeping things in-house so how often are you representing a developer and then you also have a buyer and you your office ends up representing them I, as well. I, I gotta tell you I, I am one who believes on the the full market exposure I believe that if I'm representing my seller or my developer I'm representing them so this whole notion of trying to do the the doubles, the you know, the the the, the two sides agent. of the deal, it just makes no sense uh, to me personally because there is the time that you have to put into managing that buyer that is coming direct to you. There is also the liability of of working with a buyer who actually thinks somehow, even if you even if you explain it, they sometimes think that you're representing them. There is all these layers that comes with that that I don't think is worth the extra money. And I do think that we are better off bringing a buyer agent that actually can manage that transaction from the other side. It's better for the buyer, certainly. It's better for the developer because now you have two sides that can represent this single transaction. So there is no any, you know, indication of anything being in a gray area. So will, I you, do, will you turn someone away though? No, I mean, listen, sometimes people are going to come in and as long yeah. as and as long as it's, it's really understood that this is what is happening, that at the end of the day, we are really representing the seller, then that that's that is fine, but I would say for us, it's very very small percentage of what we do in terms of direct, like really really small. Okay. We try to go broke as much as possible. Getting back to price, how often are you encouraging developers to take a dollar now versus have a potentially unsold unit, or versus versus having them wait until the product is finished and perhaps realizing a couple more dollars. I do believe that it is market condition driven. Right now, I tell all my developers, let's put us, let's put this on pre-construction and try to sell these buildings pre-construction as much as possible. Because we know the conditions that we have right now, but we don't know if those market conditions are going to be in place by the time that your building is done. So if you think that you're going to be leaving money on the table, you're only leaving money on the table if your things don't sell. So if we can sell them for you right now, let's sell them. Let's start to sell them because now you know you're done with this. You can count on that money for your next project or you can engage on whatever your next project is. So we are really helping you to move and to increase your, 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 your business. That being said, we had some buyers of the Lucas who certainly never moved a box into the building. Yeah. And they flipped their units and made hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But they so, also engaged with us in good faith two years before. Right. So you have people that are really coming and putting money, you know, liquidity into it, 5, 10, 20% on some escrow account for two years. And so, so guess what? You know, they, they took, they took their life of faith life changed, with us and, right? and sometimes things change and then they have to sell. And, and, and that's, again, that's the market changing. But what if the market would have gone the opposite direction? What if we decide to wait, you know, until the, the Lucas is completed and the market tank, then what is going to happen with it? I'm a firm you know? believer. Yeah. So in pre, in pre I think pre-sales is, is really, if the market allows you to do it like we have right now, Let's just let's just do them, you know? Yeah, I realize there's two kinds of developments. There's the dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of units where you need to pre-sell, right? Because the buyers are going to have financing and you have to show a percentage of the building under contract. And then there's folks, you know, like like us that yeah, but we you, have- Yeah, but you guys are always pre-selling. Three to 10 units. Well, yeah. the qu- it's not really a question that has a right or wrong answer. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. I guess my point is, is there- any opinion one way or the other. I think you could hedge. I think you know, I don't. I, I personally will pre-sell all the units in my building and I think you guys practice that as well. We yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, there's, but, but some might argue smart, that you could hold a few units till the end and try to be greedy with that because it's the house money at that point. Well, yeah. I, 
Uh, but know, then I, how often are you getting screwed from an appraisal standpoint? Because now they're appraising units that are in the building that have already closed at lower price points for the same thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's some, I, I, again, I just think that is that we need to respond to what the market is telling us. If you're not listening to what the market is telling you, then you're going to find yourself at a disadvantage. And right now, we have a market that is active. We have a market that allows us to do all those pre-sales, that allows to make sure that you are done with your project even before the project is done. So why not, why not go in that direction? So that, Amen. So that actually, it's a good segue into the market. So obviously, you're, the market is strong now. Where do you see the market in the next year? Where do you see the market in the next three to five years? I mean, obviously- oh, come on. I mean, it's a question you got to ask. You know, <laughs> he can't a, know that he can't know that. Yeah, but, but I I'll, mean, you. But he he can kind of see. I mean, you lived through the I'll last my, downturn. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the so, next year. I'll give you my impressions on it. I I what? think I said I'll give you the next year. But <laughs> okay. I, I don't even want to. <laughs> no, I, 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 I want to ask. I want to ask if uh, if the market does drop, do you think Boston will take a big hit? So you guys keep throwing me throwing all these questions <laughs> at me, like <laughs> so at once. But I am going to answer no, them no, all. We can move so the, all the, this you know, so you, your your first question was around you know general market market conditions. I think that we don't have anything that resembles the levels like the market conditions that we had in two thousand and seven. There is nothing like it, right? Because we what we have right now, what, what brought us to that point really was in this the mortgage crisis, right? And we were having all this this substandard kind of like products were being sure, offered sure. to people. That's Surprise. really what put us in all of this trouble. That were people, people buying things that they could not afford. We don't have that right now. The buyers that are coming to the table are buyers that have been planning for it, that are, you know, that are taking, you know, the buying process is responsible. The lenders are taking it responsibly. So we don't have those conditions, first of all, right? Because that's what took us down. The second thing is that interest rates, even though they've been inching up, they're still very reasonable, even in comparison to 2007. If I remember well, 2007, I think we were somewhere around like 9%. I can remember, something like 8 9%. So even where we are right now, you're really still looking at very, very positive conditions for buyers to be able to, you know, to engage in the home buying process. I think that what we have seen is really in the past few years in terms of, of new housing creation, a concentration more towards the high end, right? So, so luxury homes being, you know, developed, which I think that has added a little bit of, of, a, of a, I wouldn't call it a softening, but it's added a little bit of a, of a tinge to that market segment where there has been so much inventory and at the end of the day, there's only so many people that can afford that kind of like product that is taking maybe a little bit longer to sell these properties, but they are selling. It just takes a little bit a little bit more of patience, but people are buying them. The part where we haven't seen really an influx on inventory is the entry level and that mid level. So if you look at all of the projects that we are working in right now, I've been telling all my developers, and you know this, Mark, step away from the luxury high price points. We need to start building stuff that is more guided towards that entry level and mid price point. So because that's where the that's where the lack of inventory and is. So, and that's and that is to that, a million and a half. Yeah. So the crowd is. That it depends on question. it depends on where you are, right? If you're in an area like yeah. the South End, you're looking under two million dollars, right? If you're looking in in an area like South Boston, then you're looking at to like one point two, one point five. You look at the success of a building like Port Forty Five is due to the fact that we make sure that the units that were there were all primarily in the, under that one point five million dollars. And what about money. where is like oh, and your what, price per square foot there? The price per square foot was around nine hundred and fifty, which was you know one hundred and fifty to hundred dollars higher than the average new construction in South Boston. But we control the unit size so well that the acquisition price point was very beneficial. That's an incredible success story. Yeah, and that was really is that is that 
partnership between the architect, the, the, the developer and us in making sure that we were actually producing something that made sense. So we were able to control acquisition price points. People were not that same, you know, because the, the units were on this, you know, in a controlled uh, unit size, we were able to push the price per square foot, which the developer needed in order to afford the building. And then we still got some relatively reasonable price points for, you What know, about for, areas like Dorchester and other quote-unquote emerging markets? I think that applies, I think that, that applies everywhere. I think that, that really, where we have that, that lack of inventory, and we know this, not only on the resale, but also on the new construction is in that entry level and, and mid price points, regardless of what that price is in the different markets. Personally, I, I think Dorchester and Eastie, 799, 749, dual income, you can, that, that's a sweet spot. There's a lot of demand. Yeah. Do you guys agree? No, I, I, I definitely would. I mean, we're doing units in Dorchester now mm-hmm. and they're all sub $900,000 and we've been able to pre-sell everything so far, so. Can we pivot on to um, Zillow and Redfin? I was just curious. I know those. <laughs> oh my God! Do we uh, want to really talk about this? a little bit like third rails? Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, or, or any pressure on commissions, commission rates? Yeah, no. I, I mean, I think it's. I think it's are, relevant. Are you seeing? Do you want to or no? Yeah, I'm. F- I'm fine talking about Zillow and. and I mean, and I don't Redfin. know if they're in other other. I, mean, I think Zillow is a cool tool uh, as an alternative to MLS, even as a real like. If I have, I'd hold stuff off MLS and just put it on Zillow and let people feel like they found a gem. Mm. It's it's works. It doesn't work on multi million dollar <laughs> listings, but I think it works well on, you know, Dan and Ray's eight hundred thousand dollar Dorchester condo. No, and your and, and my your yeah. stuff for Easty sure. Stuff. I wasn't saying that demeaningly. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well. Well. Well, how about you the, should have seen the look in Mark's eyes when he was, was talking to me. It was very <laughs> condescending. So, so for Zillow, we're talking about developers that can list their own products as no, quote unquote new construction potentially. I think I think realtors can or realtors yeah, anyway. leveraging it. Just like, do you use? <laughs> well, no, hold on. Well, so, I, don't, I don't use Zillow. So I'm, if you want yeah. the answer, I well, everything yeah. everything passes through yeah. to Zillow from MLS. Yeah. So, but I don't. But but again, there's strategies to get you know encourage the the agents to buy their own leads, which I don't understand. I just you know it's like feeding the beast, right? No. So but what about what are your thoughts on developers leveraging Zillow to list their own stuff? Did you know that was available? Uh, yes. Yes, I did yeah. know that was available. It's called their what? Their new construction? Yeah, it's yeah, right but it, it's a, it's as useful to realtors who are like if Ricardo has a new Henry building, you could yeah. theoretically yeah. buy a listing package from them for their new construction package. Yeah, I think the right answer is probably it works for condos a million dollars and under, but no one shopping for a two million dollar condo finds it on Zillow. And it probably also works. Right and it probably also works for if you're doing like a two or three unit project versus a hundred unit project. Also, yeah. are you seeing any pressure on listing commissions and fees? Yes, you know, certainly everybody's trying to all the time. It's not, it's not new. I think everybody's always trying to get a better deal on on their commission. I think that that's, I think that that's something that we deal with. I've dealt, you know, with that since day one. I think that at the end of the day, it comes to your own value proposition and what you bring to the table. And what's your go-to answer if you're looking for a listing and I have a a brownstone to sell, and I say, Ricardo, I'd be interested, but can you do it for on your side for for two percent or one and three quarters? Would you be interested? I usually don't go in that direction. I, you know, I, I do feel that I am, I am uh, responsible for, for making sure that. Uh, so how do you explain that to your set to the seller? Been, is that all that old saying that you, you know, you, you get what you paid for? And I do think that 
So, so this is the thing, right? Where there is a developer, where there's an individual listing, right? Is this expectation, I think, that people want to, people want to pay less, but they want to get more, right? So of course they want to, they want me to take less money, but they want me to give them a video and bring Madonna to do a concert in front of their house, right? <laughs> they want all that stuff, but, but who is going to pay for that? That stuff gets paid out of that commission. And if you want to be really using an experienced realtor with a track record, you know, their, their time and their expertise is, is as a value. So, so if you want to get somebody who's going to be able to, who's going to be willing to discount, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get somebody or company that is not going to give you the full shebang, that is going to give you every single tool that you need to get that project or that listing in place. I think sellers generally subscribe to that. And it's evidenced by the fact that listing commissions haven't changed since I've been, the 10 years I've been here. Because there is, there is an actual understanding of what that value is, right? I think that when you see programs that are offering, you know, 1% listing, what does, it mean, what does that mean? Well, it's a, sig- it takes- it's a signal to a seller as to quality. And it's sort of like, it's your biggest asset in your life. And are you going to get the blue box from Tiffany or just pick something off the shelf? I, I think that it, right or wrong, people aren't willing to take a gamble on a re- reduction of a percent and a half and getting way less for the, for what their biggest thing in their whole life is. And, and when you think about nowadays, like the complexity of, of the marketing that goes into putting up, you know, a, a listing, whether it's an individual listing or whether it's a, a you know, a project, the, the depth of the marketing that we have to pay for in terms of, you know, just talk about the, the money that is put into social media, that there is the money that is put out there into now events. You know, there are more and more events that are put into this, the money that we put into into advertisement, into postcards, into all of this and all these things that go into into play to order for for us to be able to move this these properties. Somebody has to pay for them. And then I do think that the most important part of that is the value of that professional. I think we get paid for what we bring to the table and is that years and years of expertise. You know, we always say you wouldn't go and, and, and ask your surgeon to give you a discount on your on your heart surgery. Exactly. Because you understand the value of that doctor. I think that is the same thing here. For me, it's like, I know my value. I know the value of my time. I know the value of my expertise. I am a really good choice for you to sell your home. It, so I am not going to willingly just reduce my commission because I know the value of what I bring to the table. And you will see it. You know, you will see it in deliverables. You truly will see it in deliverables. I'll play a little more contrarian there. I, I think that there will be pressure, downward pressure. And I think it stems from two things. I, I feel that it stems from being in the city where home prices can be easily a million dollars. A 5% commission on that is $50,000. Whereas if you're in a suburb and you're somewhere between three hundred and five hundred thousand. still 5%, but it's a much smaller number. So I think there could be an argument to be made that... I think the rational economist would agree with your your premise, but I'd say that the data over the years would not. And everyone has always been calling for the demise of the 2.5% of the 5% uh, commissions, but since the advent of the internet and, and people using these things, but it just hasn't... Because the opposite is, has happened. Realtors are making more money. It is not about, it's not, it's not about the money. It's about the value proposition of that agent. That's, that's really, that's really, I think what has helped maintain the commission, what it is. I think that when you really engage with somebody who does this day in and day out, you understand the value that we bring to the table. 
And it's not, it's a value that allows you to sell your property fast, that allows you to sell your property for the highest amount that you could sell it. It's somebody that can help you in the terms of, a, in, in the case of a real estate developer, that can help you brand your business and grow your business just by what they are bringing to the table. It okay, is, that but is it's the a value very funny market because you could say the same for your roofer or, you know, my finished carpenter. Those guys are incredibly good and I, I wouldn't want to just hire, but there's a market pressure that, you know, the, the, you know, a competitive market brings to bear. And so you can only charge the, what is it? The last marginal dollar of utility. Like if you're, if you're really going back. I agree. I agree. But Let's it, go it back. Has the market for realtors and real estate sales is immune to that type of pressure. So I, it let's, let's circle uh, back. No, I, I We're going to find uh, out. So, so I'm back. I, I, I don't think that is immune. I think that you, you, there are companies out there that are adhering to this discounted. Trying. And, like, yeah. uh, and they've been trying. And, and, they're, and they're to some extent pushing their market in that direction. But I think that at the end of the day, if you really want to be working with those top agents, the top agent is not going to budge on that. Because I agree. the top agent understands I, what the value is. I 100% agree with you I can tell you that. that I do my 5%, whether your seller is $250 million or whether your seller is $500,000. That, that's to fine. To me, it doesn't matter because the amount of work that goes into that, the amount of expertise that goes into that is what I bring to the table. I, and then what I bring through a company, let's say like Cold Banker, and the resources that come behind that, it's what really, you know, So I'll, so I'll be honest. I hear the same pitch from everybody, right? Yeah. And it, this is, don't take this the wrong way. No, no. I want to go back to where you were telling us at the start that you were in a competitive listing situation and yep. then you basically dominated. So that's the value proposition, right? Yep. Were you all given the same sale price to work with? And I assume the same commission structure? No, definitely not the same sale price. I mean, you're setting your sale price when you're interviewing for a listing. Yep. No, no. But in that scenario where it was the, was it the, Lucas? the competitive... On, on everything that we've done, if we come in and we're doing sort of a request for proposals, we want to know what your pricing is from each broker yeah. broker that comes in a realtor. Yeah, but then you just get into a pissing but match where somebody's like, I could do it for yeah. 850, I could do it for 950, I'll do it for a million fifty well, just to get the listing. But it's this I'm talking about the, the exact scenario. What was the what was the place that you said you were actually in selling alongside other brokers and then you oh, ended the up modern. just selling oh, the most modern. Of the modern. Yeah. yeah. So how yeah. did that play out? That's what I'm trying to get at and, and understand. In terms of what? Because I think I'm a little So if everybody had the question. same set different. of rules, right? Did everybody have the same set of rules? Could you all market it at different places? Or? Different no, 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 no. This is this is a, what you're talking about is 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 a, is a team marketing with the same tools. It's just it's just meant in terms of conversion. I, I think, think what it means right. more like if what, you were you close most of them, and I'm again. getting yeah. again to the value proposition, right? So you so you differentiated yourself. Well, it's a close, it's a, you know, closing skills, you know, I, but in terms of the marketing strategy, we were using exactly the same marketing strategy. We're using the same things, you know, that we're built to it as a marketing strategy, you know. At the end of the day, as a developer, I think everyone set, wants to say, at the completion of a project, I want to say, was that 5% worth it? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, then I hired the right broker. And yeah. if the answer is no, then I didn't. Yeah. I think we're a different consumer. I think the typical seller of their home will hear a realtor who comes in and is willing to drop their fee and think, mm, he must not be as good. But I think a professional developer, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I'd take the same bet over the next five years. I think if you have big projects to sell, I think we will. And I, I know I'm sort of uh, kind of backtracking what I just said, but I, I think I think developers will see discounted fees. Yeah, my point is there's larger. definitely a debate to this yeah. and there's no right or wrong answer. And I, time I'm will, 100%. Time will, we'll answer this in the next five years. I mean, yeah, probably. But yeah. I think we're also going to see, again, the, the top producers can command the premium. And I think that's maybe why you see some people taking a discount because 
They might not be top producers and they just want to get a listing, so they need to have income. I also think it's going to depend on the product itself as well. So, you know, that higher end echelon buyer product, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, condo or home is going to command much more attention to a detail from someone versus a small... Yeah, but someone would tell you that it's a huge dollar figure, so a smaller percentage of yeah. a much bigger yeah. dollar figure. No, but you know, the, the commission is always at play. Every single time the commission is at play. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you're a developer, whether you are an, an, an entry-level seller because you're entry-level, because you're high-end, because the price point is too high, because because of the aggregate you know, value of a developer, there's always this... Again, it, it's not a conversation that we don't have every single time that we engage with somebody right. in a listing situation. Yeah. But again, it to me... In my opinion, and you asked me as to how I maintain that because I maintain my 5%, it's my value proposition. It is my expertise. It is my time. It's my ability to to sell you place fast for the highest amount. And it's my ability to create something that is specific to you, to your property, to your project that gives you the dollars that you need to be getting out of it. Nice. Yeah. So, so let's d- definitely, over- definitely overrated. a topic with that. No, no. I, can we just get into, I just want to talk a little bit. We about, only have 10, 15 I know, minutes. but I, it's like five minutes. I just want to talk a little bit about design. Yes. And kind of how you get involved in the design process, yeah. how intimately you are involved in the design process with a developer. Yeah. At what level do you come in? Because I know you say you want to come in as early as possible. Yes. So you can work with the architect, you can work with the developer. You know, how how involved are you in choosing or, you know, working with on layouts, choosing finishes, et cetera? So in terms of design, when I when I started in the business for actually someone remind me today that my tagline from day one was that real estate is not where you live, it's how you live. I've always seen real estate as a lifestyle business, as a marketing lifestyle business. Because I think that people, people are, even though people are searching based on square footage and price and number of beds, at the end of the day, they're going to buy because they love what that property is going to be offering in terms of how they see their lives in it and within it. As they enter or they leave that door, whether they're happy as they open the door into the unit or, or happy as they're going out into the street, that's really what makes the difference. So understanding that and understanding that design is a very important part of that, it's really one of the things that has given me you know, personally an edge and gave me an edge very early on. I think that nowadays that is more of like a, it's almost like a general understanding. I think people get it, but I could tell you that I got, a, I got a lot of shit 14, 15 years ago when I started to articulate that. I would get literally emails from agents saying, what are you talking about? You know, like, you know, go do your thing. We are selling, we are no designers, that kind of stuff. I, I got emails. I wish I'd saved them because they were, <laughs> uh, I would love to call them back. <laughs> Maybe you but, like, uh, <laughs> but I think that, that has changed. And I think that right now there is this, this general kind of like knowledge, uh, notion and consensus that, that we need to be part of that design and option. Uh, On smaller so, projects, you are. Yeah, yeah. No, designer, I, there right? are entire buildings out there that we have single-handedly designed, you know, with the developer. And some of them we brought, you know, interior designers, depending on the size and the scope of the project, of course. But, but the reason why it is important is because we need to understand who's going to be buying it. And if we understand who's going to be buying it, then we're going to help you or that interior designer or that architect to make decisions that make sense for the lifestyle of the person that we think is going to be buying For it. example, at the mark where you feel that the buyer is, 
Probably so, a little more established. Little yes, bit. exactly. So at the mark, for example, we are looking at a, at a buyer that is going to be a little bit more established that is coming already from the neighborhood. They're coming from the back bay or from the south end. Because these are a little larger, maybe yeah, larger, more, more yes. expensive. You're looking two and a half to, you know, close to $4 million price point. So you're going to be looking at a, a professional, a more adult kind of like buyer profile. So for example, having those studies that were beautiful design features was important because that's something that is going to resonate with them because that's going to be their home office. That is going to be that. Definitely leans thing. more traditional and less modern. Yeah. And then in the mark, we went for more of that traditional aesthetic because it was right between Back Bay and South End. So we needed to be attractive to the Back Bay buyer who tends to be a little bit more traditional. And then it had some you know, modern. I like, like how you pick the Gagano appliances. Yeah, so the Gagano is a response, let's say, to the south has end. This three-dimensional tile, yeah. which isn't super traditional, but yeah. super. It's, so see, this have, this is where I feel that you add a tremendous amount of value. Well, but that's because, that's what you pay us for. Because you know, a, that's what you, because a lot of developers know nothing about design, and you know how often are you going into developments that are already finished or three quarters of the way finished, and you're yeah. like, what? This and, and I, do. Listen, and sometimes I've even seen projects or, or you know, uh, properties in which you have some very, very good award-winning designers that you're like, why did they make this choice? Because there was no conversation around who who was who was this built for. It could the be this, a beautiful it, design, but it's just not. It could be beautiful, but it buyer, makes no sense. Not makes for that no sense. Or be too specific. Very well, yes, specific. Exactly. There yeah. were all these things. So I really do think that for 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 developers, regardless of size of building regardless of you know of, of the price points i think that the conversation with the right agent the right realtor is super important because it's going to help inform the direction of the decisions that you need to be making are there any right. design trends that you just tell people to run away from well, I, I, you know, if we are building kind of like spec, I think that we want to stay away from stuff that is a little bit too personal. I think people sometimes have a strong, you know, opinions as to, you know, believing their mark in terms of design. And that's a big issue with interior designers because they want to, you know, they want to have a signature on everything that they do. And sometimes it's not about that. I really do think that it is about finding that nice balance between uh, what the market could bear and what your buyers would want to have and having that in a much more elevated presentation. So um, we actually had somebody on a couple of weeks ago. We had Matt Edlin on, and we were talking about specialty rooms. So what are your thoughts on a specialty type room? What is that? Uh, is a like a movie room? room, a golf simulator, a workout room, a community room. In a, in a home or in a building? In a bigger building. Oh, oh I, I, like amenities? Amenity? Yeah, sure. That's what it is. Yeah. I think that, you know, again, amenity rooms are important if, as long as they make sense, you know, to the, to the, the general so appropriate, profile. So appropriately rated. Yeah, I think so. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, right. white yeah. kitchens. White kitchens. I think that they're appropriately rated because they're. I think they're classic. Uh, Mark doesn't agree. Anybody with kids might disagree too. Yeah, but it's a <laughs> no, classic. Got a lot of white kitchens. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a classic. It's a go-to. I think. So yeah. I think yeah. they're appropriately rated. Oh, they look good. Yeah. Gas fireplaces. They're uh, appropriately rated. Yeah. Mud rooms. Appropriately rated. I love them actually. I think they're so underrated. they might be underrated. underrated. No, they're underrated. Yes, yeah. they they should be there. Yeah, wet rooms. Wet rooms. Oh, I think that they are underrated. Yes, I think that. Yeah, I think that is nice to have, to have the little, you know, space. What's a wet room? So like a tub shower oh, combined yeah. in one yeah, yeah. big yeah. fun. Place I think that they, I think people see them as as weird spaces, but I think that they're really cool and I think they're functional. I think they make sense if you're taking a you know. A bath, you don't want to be walking through. And they're bathroom. tough to build. Yeah, they are, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just have to be your slopes off to be perfect and you know, you don't want to need the space a puddle too. in your wet room. Yeah. So for pre-sale side of things, 3D renderings. 3D renderings, I think that those are uh, or maybe I'll just call them renderings. You know, oh, 3D. you mean like <laughs> renderings? I think that they are appropriately rated. I think, you know, you need them. Okay. Follow yep. up to that just real quick. VR. VR. I like, think like floored. Yeah, I think VR is is overrated. I think because you know, if you're immersing somebody and they're not seeing if you're not seeing them and they're not seeing you, how are you gonna make a sale? If they're lost on something and, and wondering about, you know, the flowers and not paying attention to the real stuff that you need them to pay attention to, I think that you are lost. Do you think it's just too early in the cycle that it's just the technology? I too think that unless also. we can control the experience on the VR, I think that they, it makes no sense. Short, short I side that note, we developed a, for 10 grand a floored 3D walkthrough at the Lucas. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. And we all put the headsets on. Yeah. And yeah. no. We scrapped it. Yeah. No, it just wow. we paid for the product and we never brought because it to the consumer. I think that I think that augmented reality is different. I think AR makes I think AR is a good tool. AR is going to be really AR cool. is a good tool. Well, VR, so VR is virtual reality. You feel yes. like you're in the room. AR yeah. is augmented reality. Yes. So does that mean you take them into a raw space and then you can show them what it feels like dressed and then, up? In AR, you kind of like Im immerse them, but it is not a, a close-ended kind of like a, yeah. a device. Microsoft so, is really cool yeah. stuff on that. So I think it's great. Like there was a project that that we were doing and, and I was thinking of bringing AR into it because it made a lot of sense. So you can literally pop up a, a living room and it surrounds you, but you are you're interacting in, in real life with me. So that I can tell you, I can point the things that you might that's not cool. be seeing that I can yeah. do actually. So you're in an actual, you could be in the, actual space, in the actual space or the actual a room that's going to be the same dimensions as the room that is going to be built, and all of a sudden you're looking around and, and there's just and there's up. a couch and the fireplace, and you can take the couch and rearrange it and place it in the specific area you I still want. Don't get, we did that with floored, I thought, and and my feeling on it was the hallways seemed too long and the ceilings seemed compromised. No, it's but different. In reality, yeah, they weren't. It was just like extending. Yeah, I think what you were talking about was what we did with that was more of like a 3D walkthrough. Walk this different. is different. Oh, okay. This is different. This is different in which, like I've seen it, let's say that we have this gigantic screen in front of us and I want to show you the kitchen and suddenly the kitchen kind of like pops oh. up. So you're kind of like immersed into that. But I can go into a screen and touch the cabinet and then a thing pops up and tells you what the manufacturer is and if there are color choices for you. Like that. That 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 use of technology in which you can still immerse the buyer into into something. And it's more also different because Ricardo could be still standing next to you. You could yes. still be I can still I be can talking still talk to, to you, you, and I could still be looking into your eyes yeah. or your face and talk to you directly the, versus having like a. The a issue with on. VR is that with virtual reality, you don't have the opportunity. You don't know what they're looking at, so you cannot control. And it's hard to read What's, the reaction. Yes, you What's don't know the what they're thinking. called where you do, it's not a virtual walkthrough. It's like an actual one where the camera guy sets up and he goes all around the unit and you can like... That's Matterport, uh, right? Matt, yeah. Yes. Give yes. me an overrated under on uh, Matterport. Oh, I, I think it is, it is uh, right on, I think it's right on point. Yeah. yeah. You know I what we use Matterport for? Yeah. We use, uh, Matt, we bring Matterport in. We actually just had it done right now. We bring Matterport in after we rough, right before we close in the walls, because it basically puts together a 3D floor plan, a three, you know, of our entire building. And that way we know exactly where all the recessed lights are. We know exactly where all of our wiring is. We know exactly where all our plumbing is. If there's an issue down the line or if a border covers up a recessed light or yeah, a smoke, I know exactly Smart. where that is. What do you and pay I, for that? It's pennies. I think it's 
three to four hundred dollars per unit whole, for the whole no, no for the whole thing for the whole well, thing how, how yeah. many, like maybe five hundred bucks or less for 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 a three, three unit units? building okay really yeah. interesting yeah. no, it's the VR thing I think VR still needs to come to real estate they need to understand how real estate I agree operates, which I agree. is that personal I, relationship I, I hadn't considered the AR side of it how VR about, is really cool how about staging oh is sometimes I think it's underrated yeah it's super important it's really important even for homes that already they already have furniture sometimes it's important to bring a stage we've done it in which you have a family living in there we bring the stager to just add those you know more elevated elements that how, I how did you sell that 11 million dollar brownstone how do we sell it yeah we work hard at it we find <laughs> <laughs> what was the idea no it was it was it was recently yeah. it was yeah it just it yeah it was really you know it was uh i think it's a perfect example of how we do our job right in which is a combination of having not only specific marketing materials that make sense for the property, but having a strong public relations component to it, having a strong media relations component to it, having, you know, really good relationships with the brokers that are going to bring people to the to the property, really opening the property to, to everyone who needs to see it so they can bring their buyers through it. So really, it's one of those like very, very multi-layer. When does that close? In middle of the year, in June, June, July, somewhere around that. Yeah. Well, well I'm going to put that in my calendar. We're going to. Oh, my God. I got to check go it out. out. Yeah. Yes. One, one more. You're so. buying dinner that night. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <One>. drinks. <laughs> How about colored fixtures or faucets? So, like the matte black or the br- like brass or brushed gold or brushed brass? Like, I think they're hitting the point of being slightly overrated. I think they were. Because I think that they've been. I don't think that they're already, it's, they've been just maybe overused, you know, maybe mm-hmm. slightly. I think that they need to be, uh, I think the they more, make sense. more classic chrome you'll is better. No, I think that those, they belong in places. I think that they're just kind of like overexposed. I think I that see. there's got to be, uh, not everything, not a, you know, not everything deserves to have a black faucet. You know, yeah. there are some things that, that you know. All right. Know. Maybe, maybe one more on my end as well. Um, ceiling fans. Oh my God, I hate them. <laughs> Score. I totally hate them. I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry, people. I don't like them either. Okay, Unless good. I don't have AC, you know? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Your new home. Please don't get on that. Nah. <laughs> uh, right. Last one. Espresso cabinets. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, last one for me. Uh, oh my God, what is it now? You're thinking about it, so it's going to be bad. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, or a bad one. Oh, uh, you're debating which one. Oh, okay. I'm going to ask see, it. I, I, I see where right. Mark's finger is on the list. What is that? I'm blind, so I cannot see anything. Compass. What about it? It just seemed to be growing very fast. Yeah. And uh, appropriately rated, underrated, overrated. I think they're appropriately rated. I yeah. think they're doing their thing. You know, there's a, it's a space for everybody. You cool. know, it's a, you know, and it's, it's, it's always going to be about every company or, or every individual agent to to find their own value proposition. You know, if you move, if you as an agent move to Compass because you think that this, that's the solution, you're wrong. Same thing if you move to Call Banker because you think that that's the solution, you're wrong. It's about your own value proposition and what you build out of that business. So it's all about you. I don't think it has anything, I think it has a lot to do with brand alignment. And uh, But I think at the end of the day, you know, there's space for, obviously there's space for companies like Compass and good for them. And, and they certainly have great agents, like really, really good agents, so. Pre-finished hardwood floors. I think that they're right on point. I don't see any issue with them. I think maybe you have 10, to say appropriately rated then. Yeah, appropriately rated. You got to use the term, right? Yeah, is yeah, that what I said? Appropriately, appropriately rated. <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> we've changed uh, the rules of this game so yeah. many times. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I think the product now is really beautiful. You know, I think that sometimes you have a hard time figuring out if it is, a, you know, 
uh, or keep, engineer keeping for, it from getting damaged. Yeah, no, it's yeah. pretty. Yeah, as a builder. Yeah. What, what, I, as a builder, I think it's I think it's overrated. Yeah, I mean, what do you do? Why? It's just to, it's so hard to install. No, it's easy oh, to install. It's hard to keep them it's clean. It's a, hard to keep them from from getting da- damaged and and having. It's hard to replace them after they are damaged. No, oh. but it's easier than uh, having to sand and restain a floor corner to corner, right? Like, yeah. at least you can surgically change one board uh, out. Yeah, but you have to install them so early on in the process, you, and they're so there's finished project product. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing that uh, if I'm selling the product, I'm going to say is that you can you can sand down three eighths wear layer. If you sand that far down on a traditional wood floor, you're at the nail head anyway. Yeah. So maybe it's a value proposition. We shouldn't have such uh, crappy contractors that destroy the place. Pay a little more and get somebody <laughs> uh, that protects it. Uh, Pay wow. peanuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. What else, guys? Come on, keep hitting me. Well, uh, uh, Range Rovers. I think, I think, Range Rovers. Oh my god! I don't have a car, so that's the answer for. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did you gonna, get here? Uh, an Uber. Uber. That's, what, that's what Ubers are for now. I was hoping you were going to say you just biked over. <laughs> no, <laughs> biked no, over in a I'm suit. I'm too old for that. I'm too old for that. I can barely walk. Name one thing that you want to see more of from developers, and one thing you would like to see less of from developers. I think. What I would want to see more from developers again is those options around the entry and the and the mid price points. I really do think that that's that's where we have a, a, a lack of inventory. And I know I, there are a lot of people out there that you know right now are are in need of you know or that have an opportunity to buy a home, but there is not there is not there are no choices for them. And I think that that we really as much as we need to continue to of course cater and produce stuff. For you know higher price points, I think that we need to start producing stuff that really is taking care of you know housing needs of uh, entry level and and mid price points. And I do think that if if we needed to do something, we need to find ways of creating more you know workforce housing and start looking at at areas locations in which that might be possible. You know, it's, it's you know maybe you know. Looking at places like Lawrence, maybe looking at places like Chelsea, looking at places in which you actually can have a better acquisition price point that allows you to really produce housing that is more catered towards workforce, uh, you know, workforce From my perspective as a developer, it's always tough to develop condominium product. That's not to say long-term rental that can't sell for $400 a square foot or more. That that makes sense financially. Like I don't even care what the acquisition. It's just yeah. construction yeah. costs being what they are. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. interesting conversation. And is there yeah. something that you want to see less of? Stop this conversation. We're on commission, people. Pay the man. Questioning my <laughs> less my of, living. Less of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo, we know you've got to get going um, to the design center. Yes, right? yes. I'm going there right now. For what are you going for? For an event for a Boston Common Magazine, you know, they have their home issue, like their home a publication. I'll drive oh, you so. in my car. Great. Perfect. Let's do that. Awesome. Oh, wow. Awesome. Thank uh, you. Real quick before you go, yes. if people want to reach out and get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it? So you can go into my website where you have all of the information, ricardoboston.com, Ricardo with one C. You could also just check us out on social media, Instagram and Facebook. We have the same handle, which is Boston. As in Ricardo Rodriguez and Associates, RRA Boston. So those are good ways of of connecting uh, with us. 
Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ricardo. And and thanks for thank you, guys. This yeah. is great. Congratulations on all your success. Yeah. Thank you. Your story and congratulations on this. This is amazing. Thank, thank you. you know? Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I love and it. Thanks for everybody listening, following, tuning in. Really, yeah. really appreciate it also. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. Okay, so we'll catch everybody on the next one. Bye, Take guys. care now. Thank you. Thank you.